Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich Amos, episode 205. Hello, hello, my Richers. This is Hayut with a new episode of the Rich Amos show. A few years ago, a friend of mine decided to open her business on Amazon. I had the privilege to watch and follow her through all the steps from finding a product, creating the logo, opening the store, producing the product in China, to selling and promoting her product and then shutting it off without having a too big financial damage, not to mention success. I think that things would go differently for her if she had heard this episode with my guest today, Isaac Kuhlman, earlier. Isaac Kuhlman is an Amazon seller and coacher. He started from zero and built two successful brands and a coaching company. When I asked Isaac what would be his best advice to entrepreneurs, he told me, The only way you can do things better is to make mistakes along the way. Mistakes are the best learning tools in the world. Put your hand on a hot stove. You will remember never to do that again. I loved this episode with Isaac Kuhlman. I think you're going to love it too. Isaac Kuhlman has been an Amazon brand developer since 2013, responsible for more than $12 million in revenue. He is the co-founder of Real Coaching with Christy Verity, where they have helped over 1,000 Amazon sellers grow their businesses with the right strategies to achieve the freedom goals. They specialize in taking sellers who are stuck or plateaued in their business and breakthrough to reach the real success they desire. Now he gets to enjoy real freedom and pursue his lifelong passion for rock music. Having produced and recorded an album, bicycling 11 miles a day, writing a poetry book and traveling the world. Isaac Kuhlman what a pleasure to have you here. Hi. How's it going, Hayut? Everything is going great. I'm so happy to have you here, finally. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's going to be uh, awesome, and it's a pleasure to be here. Hmm. I just shared with our listeners what you've done until now, and I would like to ask you to share with us what are you doing and most passionate about today, and where are you heading? Yeah, so the the couple of things that I'm I'm doing, just so you know, I'm I'm an, obviously an Amazon seller. I have two brands on Amazon, and then we're actually coaching through uh, Real Coaching, which is a, a company I started with my business partner Kirsty Verity. We're actually coaching and helping other people establish 
sustainable long-term businesses on Amazon, not just selling products, but actually getting businesses set up, built, finding products that actually can be sustainable, not just fad products that kind of get some sales here or there. And that's really a passion. I've always wanted to be somebody who educates, but also leads other people to build an opportunity for themselves. I actually grew up quite poor when I was younger. Um, I remember literally like a bowl of cereal was like my meal for three meals every day. Uh, so like we would, we would have to wait like two weeks to get any good food sometimes. And so I always thought, you know, this is just a, a temporary thing. I'm smart enough when I get, you know, old enough, I will find a way to make myself successful somehow. I don't know how, but that was my plan. And as I got a little bit more opportunity by, you know, doing things myself and finding people to connect with, I decided, you know, there's gotta be a better way for other people to kind of reach out get the things that they want to do and achieve the things that they want to achieve. And, and so basically that's when we started to kind of try to help people. And we were actually doing it for free. Me and Kirsty, we weren't working together at first. So we were just helping other people try to build their Amazon businesses and, and help them become successful on our own separately. And then we kind of met and we talked about, you know, exactly what we were doing. And we kind of found out that we were doing exactly the same thing. And we wanted to help even more people create a bigger impact. And that's when we established real coaching and it, was, it had a couple of different names in the, in the beginning, but we, we finally settled on real coaching because that's what we want. We want real people who are trying to build real businesses for real freedom. And that's the opportunity we want to build for everybody else. And it started from having your own Amazon store or selling things in yeah. Amazon and then you started coaching people or you started coaching right away? Yeah, it kind of, um, it was definitely, we started selling ourselves first. And then as we were starting to get more successful, we got more experienced. People started asking us questions about how do you get, you know, this thing to work and how do you find products and all this other stuff. And we, we hadn't at that time, cause we weren't really separate. We weren't, we were separately doing this. We hadn't really built out a core strategy or process. We just kind of knew the way that we did it. And then we kind of added a little couple things on our own. And then we kind of looked at it together and said, you know what, actually, we've got a couple of improvements here. We got a couple of improvements there. Let's go ahead and start talking to people about this because this is going to be really helpful because there's a lot of training courses out there. Yeah. But training courses only get you to a certain point and then they stop because they're not there to teach you about business. They're not te- teaching you about cash flow. They're not teaching you about, you know, what you do in a long-term business to you know, make sure you're paying taxes and you got product liability and all this other stuff. And the idea is that if you don't prepare yourself from the start to build a business like that, you're going to, con- you're basically going to consistently be stuck in a cycle of product goes up, comes down, product goes up, comes down. And then the business is never really in a position to where it can actually sustain itself successfully for a long period of time because it's always about one product or the next product and there's nothing really kind of wrapping it all together and securing it. So that's what we talk about. We, we do private label, which is um, essentially finding products that you can put your own brand on. A lot of people call them generic products, but it really it's not a gener- generic product. It's just a non-patented product that you can find. You can even customize it yourself. You can patent it yourself if you find a very specific way to do that. Um, that's not required at all. But then you basically put your branding on it and then you have a brand of products that fit the ideal clients that you're trying to serve. And I know you're, you definitely talk about, you know, making sure that people understand how to focus on the customer because those are the people that are actually buying from you. That's right. And that's a huge thing because most people don't do that. Hmm, that's right. But I want first to ask you, how did you um, arrive from being in a poor home, having cereals for three meals to Amazon? 
why Amazon? What did you start before that? Yeah, so it was it's a bit of a long story, but I'll try to sum it up. Got to save it for your autobiography later, right? <laughs> so essentially what happened was, you know, I grew up pretty poor, graduated high school, took a couple of scholarships and a grant to go to school, still had to pay, you know, a bunch of student loans. I actually just finally paid off my student loans last year from 2004 wow. is when I graduated college. So wow. finally did that, um, but took out some student loans and then went to the University of Oregon. I was actually going to go into law. I got a, a history degree with a pre-law or a, a sorry a poli sci, so political science minor, because they didn't have a pre-law major in my at my school, but they kind of had a pathway. So I actually wanted to wait a year after graduation so I could get in-state residency, so I could pay much less for law school. Mm -hmm. I applied for law school, and here's the here's the pretty funny story is that right before the deadline, I didn't know there was a deadline because I knew there was a deadline, but I didn't know when it was. But I basically put in my application the very first day you could, which was in January, like the 4th of January, like the first Monday of the year. Yeah. I put my application in right away. At some point in their application, because I think it's like 26 pages long, I forgot to initial one page or sign a page. And they said that they would only contact you by phone or by uh, physical mail. And they happened to email me and it must have went to a junk folder or something oh. because I never got the email. And all they said was essentially, you missed a, a signature on page like 11, for example. <laughs> and I, I didn't ever see it. So I called them like in April and I was like, hey, I haven't heard back for my um, application. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And they're like, oh, actually, uh, today's the last day oh. that we're accepting uh, <laughs> interviews. And we only have like one spot left for the law school. And I was like, okay, so what do I do? They're like, you can literally... Um, get your transcripts, which were literally, it's from the same school. So it was like a block away. It was like 500 feet okay. from the law school to the transcripts, which is the University of Oregon there. You just had to walk down one street, but I had to actually get it overnight shipped because they needed it in a sealed envelope from the admissions office to the law school. So I had to pay like $70 to get this oh. done. And at the time I was just working at a grocery store. It wasn't like I was making a lot of money. So I was like $70, that's crazy. I did it anyway, and uh, then literally the next day I called and I was like, "You got my application and all my all that stuff." And they're like, "We did. We filled the last spot, so we don't have any more openings." And I just I, I remember literally the last thing I said to him was like, "Fine, I'll just find another way to make a million dollars." And then I hung up on her. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically I, I worked through uh, wow. retail and it's a sad story. We didn't mean to hear sad stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of like my young self's dream to kind of be in law. But the more I thought about it, like I didn't really want to be like a 30-year-old that was like, you know, just kind of getting out of school, just getting his feet wet. I wanted to be more inexperienced and, and, and do stuff and, and experience life because by the time I was 30, I had done a bunch of other stuff. And by the time I'm 35, now I'm 39, almost 40 this year. Like every five years, really? I'm taking like these big giant jumps. Whereas I think of that if I went into law, I would have just been stuck in the same spot pretty much for years on end. So I was pretty happy that in the end it didn't work out because like kind of built a fire inside of me. Like, you know, this didn't work out. So I got to find something else. And I put it, put it all back on myself to really do that. And I worked retail for about, I don't know, about seven or eight more years and decided, you know what, uh, this is kind of going nowhere, but it's just paying bills. But then I met a guy who was actually working in an Amazon business right before um, or kind of right right at the end of when I was trying to get out of retail. Anyway, I was, I was kind of moving in that direction, but I didn't know what there was. Um, so I was, I, I basically went to the, I was actually working at an indoor go-kart facility as an operations manager in, I think it was 2013 or 2014, somewhere in there, 2013, I think. And I basically told them, look, I'll, I'll take over like regional operations because I had 
done mm-hmm. such a good job at turning this one facility into a profitable company. It had never made profit in any month ever uh, before I got there. And then for oh. six straight months, I got it to be profitable and a lot of profit. And so I said, you know, here's my, here's my kind of what I want to get out of this company. And I wasn't even asking that much. I think I asked for like $41,000 a year, which is like nothing. And I, and I said, you know, I'll open any new indoor facilities. Like I'll open any new stores. I'll go there. I'll travel. I'll train them all. This was all the stuff that the owners of the company didn't want to do anymore because it takes a lot of time. And they just felt like, you know, they, they didn't want to do it. So I was basically giving them everything they wanted for a very low salary. And they said, we can give you a 5% raise instead. And then I was like, all right. I'm pretty good. Like, I'm not going to take that because the 5% raise is pointless. So that's when I basically said, I'm going to go work with this guy who had built an Amazon business. Now, I didn't know that much about Amazon. I shopped on it a couple of times. I knew some stuff about online and, and Facebook, but it wasn't like I was savvy about e-commerce selling. I'd never sold anything online before. I'd never started my own business before. I kind of knew some business concepts just from working in businesses and I knew a lot about like understanding the metrics of everything, conversion rates, traffic, that kind of stuff. Okay. And so he showed me kind of what he did and and he didn't have any business sense of like how to run a business. He just knew how to sell on Amazon and kind of build these things up. So we put our heads together, kind of worked together for about two and a half years, sold a lot of stuff. And then we kind of branched off and went our separate ways. It changed your situation? Yeah. Suddenly be able to really sell your stuff and be in charge of what you earn? Yeah, so that's the really funny thing. So when I first started working with him, he, he gave me a significant increase. And then he gave me the next year, because we did so well, he gave me another significant increase in what would I make for salary? Because I told him like I needed a base salary in order to help him work because I couldn't just say I'll take X amount of profit because I had no idea if he was going to make profit. So I had to take a salary for that business to work with him. But after that, it was funny because no matter how much money he paid me, as soon as I stopped working with him and I started going off on my own brands and we, we started doing the coaching thing, I actually made more the next year and then the next year and then the next year and the next year. So every year that I've not worked for somebody, I've basically made more money than I ever had. Maybe not the year before, but before I ever worked for anybody else, like I've never made less than when I worked for somebody else after I started working for myself. So that's a pretty interesting thing because I thought I was going to have to struggle for a few years, but I was very fortunate because I kind of knew all this stuff and kind of put it all together really quickly. We'd actually found ways to elevate our income as opposed to reduce it. So that was a nice thing. Now I'm not saying, Hey, everybody go out there and quit your job. Um, the one thing that I actually did And how I broke off and we went our separate ways is because I actually outsourced everything I was doing in his business and told him, I was, I was like, I'm going to outsource everything because this is all like day-to-day things that can be just, I just read a, a step-by-step guide and give it to, you know, a, another person like a Filipino VA. So a virtual assistant over there. Mm-hmm. And so I went from working like 60 hours to about five hours a week of just kind of management stuff. And I said, you can do this five hours. So essentially I don't need to even work with you anymore. You can just take this back over and the business will run even better because you're not paying me a salary. And he was like, what? I was like, yeah, so basically you can just fire me or I'll just quit or whatever because we don't need to work together for this business to to run well anymore. It's kind of set on autopilot with the, everything that I've done. And you just need to make the decisions, which you do anyway. So it basically kind of got myself fired from the job. I didn't actually get fired, just <laughs> kind of separated. But he was, sure. he was pretty shocked that like, he was like, You're telling me you don't want just free money? Because I, I knew that if I stayed, it would hold me back to that position, right? And I would never grow yeah. beyond it. So that's why I just said, you know what? I'm going to have to just go. And I didn't have a lot of money in my bank account or anything like that. But 
I remember exactly, I had like $12,000 and I was like, oh, that's going to be enough. And literally that was all gone in like three months. And I was like, oh no, what do I do now? <laughs> but then it was like, yeah, I just had to really make things work because that's the thing with, with people who are comfortable at their, at their positions, they don't grow. And so you have to make yourself uncomfortable to really make these growth leaps. And so that's pretty much what I did. I just made myself really uncomfortable, didn't have any plan, had a limited number of funds in the bank, and then went out and started my own brands and, and the coaching business and all that stuff. And what are the best things to sell on Amazon if you're just starting out? Well, that is a very good question because if I could just point out every single product on Amazon that you could sell really easily, then they would be immediately taken up and everybody would sell them and then they become very, very hard, right? So there's no real straightforward answer to that. But what we do have is a process and we have tools. We actually built out a lot of these spreadsheets to help you find how good or viable products are. And by viability, I mean, are they profitable over 30%? And they have to be at least 30% profitable. So ideally, it's even over 35%. Return on investments should be at least 100%, but ideally over 150%. They should bring back at least $1,000 in profit each month once you get to your sales goal. And we actually show you guys, like everybody, how to project their sales and how to find out if there's enough sales volume on that product to even get there. You have to be able to understand that your budget dictates what you can sell on Amazon. For example, if you wanted to sell, let's say, jump ropes on Amazon, you might need $75,000 to start that brand for that product. The reason why is because it's very competitive on Amazon now, and there's a lot of top sellers there selling a lot of, of jump ropes. So if you have to sell a jump rope, you have to probably get, I don't know, 8,000 units just to sell because you have to probably you know, try to give away or do a very discounted promotion to get sales velocity to even get visibility for that product, you'll, you'll probably spend $35,000 to $50,000 on just marketing it right away. And then you'll spend the rest on the actual, you know, the, the, the inventory and some of the other stuff, the freight and stuff like that. So literally the marketing cost for certain products can be so high, it's a huge barrier to entry. But a lot of people don't even know that exists. So that's why we take them through those processes. We say, Understand everything. Understand your advertising costs, the the cost it takes to get to page one for these products. Because if you get to page two or three, you're going to get a you know a fraction of the sales you want to achieve for those products. So you shouldn't even really aim for pages two or three of the search rankings because you're not going to get the the results that you want. So we try to help people find new product ideas that not everybody's looking for. We give them new opportunities and ideas and different scopes so that way they can actually do this research. And then we give them these tools, these spreadsheets, where they can just plug in these numbers and it spits out these results that say, here's what the product profitability is, the ROI, the viability. Does it fit your budget? Are you under over budget? We put in launch costs. We put in like advertising costs and all that stuff. So before they ever even order the product from the factory, they have a very good idea if this product's going to be successful or not. Hmm. So it, as opposed to just knowing what the products are going to be successful or not, they can actually do very good estimations and it'll give them a very good scope of, you know, this is a lot better than just thinking, hey, I'm going to sell this product and hope it does good. Hmm. As an entrepreneur, what would be your best advice to any entrepreneur that listened to you just now? Yeah, uh, I would say that And I think Robert Kiyosaki has a quote similar to this, but uh, he says something like, people who fail quit easily or something like that. And then winners always try to fail as fast as possible kind of thing. So they fail to succeed kind of thing. But I think the biggest thing with people is that because they're so afraid of rejection, of failure, of something not working out one time, that they don't actually even get started. 
And let me give you, let me kind of break down what this means. Cause when people say, oh, you want to fail as much as possible, that's not true. That's kind of a, a hypersensitive like version of what you actually want to do. You want to find things that can be corrected because you're going to make mistakes. So mistakes don't equate to failure. In my opinion, you only fail if you give up. <laughs> so what you want to do is you want to keep finding these things that you can do better. And the only way that you can find to do things better is if you make mistakes along the way. Mistakes are the best learning tools in the entire world. Put your hand on a hot stove. You remember never to do that again, right? <laughs> That's a huge mistake. Don't burn your hand. This is very similar in the Amazon business. So if you order too much product and then you get you know, long-term storage fees or big uh, storage fees, you'll remember not to do that again. You'll, you'll try to make your inventory a lot more um, straightforward and manageable and you order appropriately. If you order too little and you run out of stock, you'll remember not to do that again or you'll try to find processes that'll actually make you better at that. If you pick a product that just is way out of your budget and you realize you can never get to page one, you'll find processes to stop you from doing that again. So there's all these little mistakes that you can make. And trust me, there's tons of mistakes. For example, if you don't inspect your goods in China before you ship them over to Amazon or before you ship them out of China, and then you find out when they land to the country of origin that all the goods are broken or that they were not the quality or they were different product or something like that. And now you're stuck with them because now you can't really send them back to the factory. The factory's not going to take them. So you could be out, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. That's a huge mistake. You'll learn from that. People have done this. We've done this. We've done a lot of these things. So we know from experience that these aren't fails, right? These are mistakes that you learn from. So yeah, you can consider it a fail, but in, in, in essence, it's just another thing that you find that you can improve yourself upon. So I don't want to say, you know, go out there and fail as many times as possible. But even Thomas Edison had a thousand different concepts of a light bulb before he finally found the right one, right? So 10,000 actually. I mean, there, there's, there's tons of stories over history. You're not going to win and be successful on your first attempt almost ever. You have to build to that. And you have to use, you know, people who have already been there, mentors, coaches, community members, as your kind of growth point and your and your kind of backing your, your you know backstop so they can help you mm. because you're not going to know everything from day one and even if you if, if you went through every YouTube video on planet Earth and read every article and did all that stuff you still can't know it until you uh, execute it and implement it for yourself. So if I sum it in one sentence, don't be afraid to fail. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Humans make mistakes. <laughs> yeah, I think it's beautiful. You've got successes, and we'll talk about them in a minute. But I want to ask you, what is your biggest, most critical failure with customers? The one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most or almost the most? Sure. So one thing I actually, because I grew up doing retail through my whole life, my probably my biggest core strength in any business was always my customer service and, and how I help people. Because the, the thing you have to realize is they're just like you, just on the other side of this purchase, right? So they just want to be treated like you would be treated and same thing, right? So sometimes a customer is going to get angry. And I can actually tell you this was very early on in my Amazon business because there was a person who said that they got a defective product and that they were going to sue us. So they came out very hostile. Mm -hmm. and, and it was just through an email. So it wasn't like, you know, we were talking in person. But we set, I sent a reply back and it wasn't exactly the most positive. Now, it wasn't overly negative, but it was kind of skeptical. And that was a big thing. Like you don't want to sound like you're questioning them in any way. And you can learn from this really quickly because the person was like, hey, I need your contact information. I need to send, you know, all this stuff like because he wanted to send like a legal document or whatever. 
And I just said, okay, so let me just get this right. You're trying to send this and all this and, and asking questions. And then I was like, we don't think that there'd be a problem with the product. So we're like kind of just pushing the blame off. But at the same time, it wasn't, it wasn't helpful because then it kind of made it seem like it was all their fault. Mm-hmm. So the way it was worded and the tone that was in that email did not help the situation at all. The customer blew up. In the end, he was blowing smoke. He never did anything, but um, we got him to calm down eventually. And basically what he wanted to do was, you know, write every Amazon customer and and tell them like all this stuff, like it's a bad product. He was writing a bad review, put some bad seller feedback, emailed Amazon. We had to go through it, uh, what they call an A to Z claim. So it just became a huge issue. And it could have been resolved just by checking the tone of the email. Hmm. And it's it's like, if, if you're ever uncertain, and this is one of my huge things is if you're ever uncertain about if your email or any text or anything is ever not the right tone, if it's not overly positive and helpful, have somebody else read it before you ever send it. And if they don't think it's overly positive, then you probably need to rewrite it because you cannot send something, especially in text form, that in any way shapes the a, a bit of a negative tone for the customer because it will backfire on you very quickly. And you'll learn very fast that you have to assume that the customer is always right and you have to help them resolve the issue no matter what the issue is. Otherwise, you'll have all these you know, straggling pieces that you have to clean up later. It's like, you know, they, they say a bowl in a China shop. So it's like literally a bowl just comes in and breaks every plate that you have. And you're like, now you got to clean up the mess. And it's like, well, okay, uh, I don't want to have to deal with that. So like, let's stop him after he breaks the first plate and then kick him out after, but be nice to him. So that's kind of the idea is that you need to stop him from smashing everything along, along the way. I love this example. I love this story. It's a beautiful story. <laughs> really, it's a beautiful story. There's a lot to learn from it. And now I want to ask you to tell us the story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something that you did right about okay. approaching your customers. All right. So this one, it, it may not be the biggest success, but I take pride in it because we did go out of our way to really help a customer. And this is because... Um, we were selling cell phone electronics, like accessories at the time. This was back in 2014, I want to say. And a customer had received a product. Now, they bought it on the listing from Amazon that we created, but it doesn't mean that necessarily they're going to get product from us because other sellers can jump on there, sell a fake version of that, a counterfeit version. Mm-hmm. And that's actually what ended up happening, but we didn't know that at first. So the customer you know, came out and said, hey, uh, I just used your guys' product. As a female, she was a probably you know, mid-40s lady. She's like, I used to use your product, and it blew up, essentially burnt out my Bose stereo, which they're pretty expensive. So we were like, oh, no, that's not good. So first we had to like make sure that this was legitimate because, you know, like we said, we, you know, sometimes people just make some claims. We don't know. So we just had to make sure like, hey, um, just make sure, can you send us your order ID so we can find it? And lo and behold, we couldn't find the order. Um, but it was, she took a picture and it looked like our product, except for it didn't come in our packaging. It just came in like a Ziploc bag. And that's when we knew something was wrong. Hmm. So we're like, okay, check your order because there's probably a different seller on there. And sure enough, it was a different seller trying to sell on our listing. And so we basically, she's, we could have easily just said, you know what? Sorry, you're going to have to take this up with that seller and just leave it at that. That seller probably was like trying to get off Amazon because they knew that they were, their time was up because they were selling counterfeit. So they're probably going to be about to kick off, be kicked off Amazon anyway. What I did instead was I said, okay, look, here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to call Amazon customer support on your behalf and we'll try to get them to call you and we'll get on a three-way call. 
So we actually did this. Now, I'm not saying this will even work anymore. This was like seven years ago, and it did work at this time. But what happened was we actually got them on the phone. I explained the situation. I said, this is a customer. She was trying to buy our product. She got a counterfeit product from Amazon. It was from this seller, and it actually ruined her stereo, which was about $500. Mm -hmm. And so what I told Amazon to do as a result, I said, you guys are probably going to have to reimburse her from that seller's disbursements to actually get her the money to replace her stereo. And like literally the next hour, I got a, uh, an email back from that customer saying they just reimbursed me $500 wow. to my account. And I was like, holy crap, it actually worked. <laughs> so it was one of those things that it was like, you know, this could have gone really bad and I could have just left the customer high and dry. But we wanted to make sure that we really did everything we could because if I was in that position, I'd have felt just like that too. I'd have felt like crap. I didn't want to be left out. I don't want to be hung out and then be out $500, a stereo system that costs $500. So it was actually one of them uh, docks that you put like in your kitchen. It wasn't like the full hmm. Bose system, like a surround sound or anything, but it was like one of those ones that you put in your kitchen, but they're still expensive and very good. So we wanted to make sure that we did right by her. And in the end, she was like, I haven't bought your product technically, but I will buy from you guys basically if I ever need anything and I'll tell everybody about it. And that's the kind of experience you want for your customers. Sure. Is it, can you recommend the best or most effective technological or digital tool that related to customer-focused marketing or sales. However, I'm not looking for the last shiniest tool in the endless list. I'm looking for something that really works for you and can help other entrepreneurs as well. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. I am going to give you a bad answer. Uh, it's a bad answer because it's not going to be a tool at all. Because what I find is that tools take the human brain and common sense out of everything that you want to do. And what I mean by that is, is we work with a lot of tools on Amazon and there's one in particular called Jungle Scout. If you want to know how to find say, estimated sales data and all that good stuff, that's a very good tool. We use it for that. But what happens is people forget to use their brain and then they go to a tool and just like you said, it's a shiny object. They don't know how, they don't know how to use it. They don't understand the, the purpose, the, the depth of what they're supposed to be able to get out of it. And in the end, they just get more confused than they do if they don't use a tool. Hmm, so for example, if I was selling, and I do sell an ice scraper on Amazon, people would figure, okay, you know, what would the, the thing I type into Amazon be to find an ice scraper on Amazon? Well, I would tell you, common sense, type in ice scraper to find an ice scraper. <laughs> However, what happens when you use tools to help you figure out what these keywords are, It'll tell you, you know, ice scraper for car, car windshield, ice scraper, and all it does, like all these other things. And all it does is confuse you about which one is the actual right keyword or main keyword for, as an example, it, this happens all across every industry. There's a tool out there to fix some problem. What happens then is people rely on that tool and they don't actually understand the processes, the strategies, um, how that tool interprets data, how that tool is trying to help them. And so their common sense goes out the window. So what I would tell you is, and the reason why this is a bad answer is in almost every scenario in a business, common sense literally will win out almost every time. And I don't mean that, that for every single thing, but when it comes to working with customers, you have to realize they're not robots, right? They're not trying to do things in a robotic fashion. They're doing things how human beings would do it. So what you have to think of is from that buyer's perspective or from the person who uses that product's perspective. What are they trying to achieve? Why are they doing this? How are they doing this? What problems do they have? All this other stuff, right? And you get in that mindset. You probably should be in that mindset because if you're doing things right, you'll probably be that person just in a different stage of your life, mm -hmm. right? So we call it being your ideal client. If you are like them, 
then you truly know exactly how they feel. So using your common sense for that person or those types of people's kind of behaviors is usually more valuable than any tool. But unfortunately, and this is the reality, how you, is that common sense isn't very common anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> so you, you really have to hone in on not trying to overcomplicate things. It's that method of keep it simple, stupid, the KISS method. If you can simplify things, that is the biggest tool in your entire arsenal. You'll be able to make everything just like all the confusion will drift away if you can simplify and use your common sense. Mm. Love that. Love this answer, I must say. I think a lot of times we do forget to think yep. uh, and to use our common sense. There are many factors that uh, actually affect one's success. However, I do believe that for each of us, there is one factor that really helps us succeed. And I want to ask you, what is your one key success factor? Yeah, I would probably always come back to the fact that I am, I'm never willing to let a problem go unsolved. And if you can just think about, you know, they call it the scientific method or whatever you want to call it. But if you can think about the reasons problems are happening, the things you've tried. So if you break it down in the scientific process, it's something like state the problem. Like, is there a problem? State it. Find out, is there actually a problem based on data? So using your analytics or whatever your metrics actually find out evidence right so use that evidence talk about what you've already tried so this is like the historical evidence of the of the, the thing that's going on then you hypothesize or postulate a theory of what you think could fix mm -hmm. it and then you pop then you go out and try it and then did it work yes or did it work no and then you try it again so really everything that people try is is like the scientific method the difference is, is that they don't think about it because you don't have to. It's just, it kind of is common sense. What have you done? Is it working? No. Okay. Try something else. Did that work? Yes. Perfect. You fixed the problem. Did it not work? No. Okay. Try something else. That's common sense in a lot of ways, but it is the scientific method. If you break it down, you have to rely on data. You can't just do things willy nilly and just say, okay, I think there's a problem. So I'm going to change things that can cause a lot of negative effects in your business. You have to rely on data and you have to rely on the fact that there's truly uh, something you can state as a problem. For example, on Amazon, people just say, oh, Amazon changed their rules, so now I think there's a problem. Well, you don't know because nothing's happened yet, so don't change things until you know that it's happening. So people prematurely try to change things, which has a negative impact on their business. And this happens a lot of time you know, in any business, especially online, because a lot of the internet is being more regulated by different countries over the last few years. So they'll try to overcompensate. And in reality, they don't need to do all that stuff. And it can burden them either in administrative costs or effort or time. And just doing these things, it's not smart. So you have to really go through that problem solving process and clearly know what things are happening and what things aren't happening. Because if it's as important to know what's not happening versus what is happening, that will help you solve that problem. So if you can isolate your problems to one thing, it's very easy to solve those. If you have a bunch of different things, then you need to test different things to see which one of them is the problem. So for example, on Amazon, if your sales aren't as high as you want them to be, okay, is your conversion low? Is your traffic low? Is you know, your main image not drawing enough customers? Are your ratings too low? All that stuff. So you got to check each one to see which one's kind of driving that thing. But as you kind of draw them out, you'll start to say, okay, one at a time, I have to test these because if I did them all at once, I'd never know because then maybe they go up, maybe they don't because maybe one thing's offsetting the other. So you really have to understand each little thing and just go through that problem solving process one by one. 
A lot of people are too impatient to do that. And they try to do all things at once. And then they don't see a result, unfortunately. Oh, so now I have my final question. And my final question is my mountain question. Mm -hmm. And as my listeners already know, I've been imagining the journey of marketing and then the journey of entrepreneurship as climbing a mountain. And at some stage, I started to ask my guests, and that's what I'm asking you, whether you ever climbed a mountain or wished to climb a mountain, or do you have any relationships with the mountains mm -hmm. at all? Yeah, so I actually was born in Montana, which is Spanish for mountain. And I actually did go up to the mountains quite often. Um, we would go fishing up there. I never climbed to the top of a mountain or anything like that. But I'm very familiar with mountains. I, I actually live in a valley in here in Las Vegas in between the Rocky Mountains. So, you know, go up to ski and, and snowboard and stuff like that. So we definitely go to the mountains and, and, and I'm very fond of the mountains in general. But I will say that my journey as an entrepreneur, I actually read this book before I ever became an entrepreneur. And it was actually a kind of a very good perception of what I what I felt the journey of life was like. And the book is called Shifting Sands. It's by... Steve Donahue. Now, in that book, mm -hmm. he basically literally says achieving goals is not so much like a mountain. It's more like a desert where the path kind of just shifts. So you <laughs> see sand dunes and you're like, I got to get over that dune. But then when you get to that dune, there's like, okay, well, now where am I? Which dune do I need to get over? Right. So instead of just constantly climbing up, you actually kind of go side to side a lot. And then you kind of go up and down as well. So you're kind of just trying to figure your path out in a desert. Oddly enough, I live in a desert here in Las Vegas now. So it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of very fitting. And I thought, you know, it's for me, I don't necessarily see my journey as going up all the time. Sometimes it's like, hey, I got to go this way a little bit. And now I got to go this way a little bit. And I'm still maybe going up a little bit. But at the same time, I might have to go down for a little while and then go back up. So it really does become this journey of, you know, if everything was always going up, you'd always feel really good about it, right? But we know as entrepreneurs that everything doesn't always go up. Things do go down. And then you have doubt creep in, confidence is lacking. You're not sure if you if you, you can make this thing work again, whatever it is. And so in reality, I think there's a lot of us that just have to realize that, yes, you can go up sometimes. Sometimes you need to go down in order to really see what you need to fix or do better. So that way you can go up again, but also realize that sometimes it's not about going up. Sometimes you just need to take a step sideways or take a step back hmm. and realize that you need to focus your perspective a little bit differently to get an idea of what's really happening. And yeah, so I mean, <laughs> I know, again, it doesn't answer the question of a mountain per se, but uh, I think there's a lot of a, a lot of value in that concept of just changing your perception of what success looks like to you. I love that. I really love that. What would be the best way to connect with you for any of our listeners that would like to be in touch? Yeah, so we, we have some information about selling on Amazon, free training, and you can just go to our website. That's the best way to connect because you can actually email us and, and live chat us from there and all that stuff. But it's goteamreal.com. So G-O-T-E-A-M-R-E-A-L, goteamreal.com. And you can find us, you can, you can check out our podcast on there. You can uh, check out that free training, like I said, if you are interested in selling on Amazon. If you're just interested in learning more about business concepts, you can go there because what we do for Amazon applies to pretty much every business. It's just we talk about it specifically for Amazon. So cash flow, you know, understanding your products or your services, 
understanding how to sell, how to be a better marketer, all that kind of stuff. And it really does come down to really understanding your customer first and foremost and understanding how you serve them. So that would be where they can connect with us for sure. That's great. And we will have this link as well as other links in the show notes of this interview. Isaac, I would like to thank you. It has been an original and beautiful interview. I really enjoyed that. And I enjoyed your original answers. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for having me. It's, very, it's been my pleasure to be here. It is a pleasure. And thank you and take care. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.